for that one for a minute. I don't know if you've been reading through the book of Hebrews to get a greater context for uh, what we're preaching through in terms of Hebrews 11. But uh, if you're not already, then can I commend you to read through the book of Hebrews? It gives you a broader understanding of where Hebrews 11 fits in to what the writer of the Hebrews is, uh, is saying to us all. But straight away in there, straight away in there, it explains how we can boldly approach the throne of the transcendent, holy, amazing King of the universe who never began and will never end, completely perfect and pure, and we can approach his throne with utter boldness through Jesus. That's what we did this morning. That's what we've been doing through our songs, through partaking in the bread and wine. We're approaching the eternal King, us little humans. It's not until you get a bigger understanding of how great God is that we really, really realise what he's actually deigned, dared to do for us. We realise who we really are before him. It's amazing. So read through the book of Hebrews, please do. There's confusing stuff in there. Ask John if you've got any questions. Um, who's Melchizedek? What's all that about? But read through it. It gives you a bigger picture and understanding of what's going on. Please do. Any questions, come and find us. So once again, we're working through our series called Real Faith. I'll explain a bit more of that in a sec, but let's just pray before we do. Father, great eternal King, the one and only, utterly unique, there is no other God besides you, and yet you draw us to you. You dared to have a rescue plan in place for us, before you even created the earth, before you even created the universe, before I was even born. You dared to have a plan set in place in perfect agreement with your Son and with the Holy Spirit to rescue me to rescue us. Lord, we thank you. And as we delve deeper into your word, your revelation to mankind, as we delve deeper into a part of that, may we just truly understand a greater sense of how great you are. So we can understand a greater sense of how great that rescue plan is and where I am without you. And as a result, where I am now with you and in you. So help us. May we have something, each one of us here, something we can take away and act upon. Let us not receive this word and it just lies dormant or dead in our hearts or bounces off a hard heart. Lord, may we receive this and do something about it for your glory. Amen. So why have we, why have we called it real faith? I've heard some questions floating around. What's the difference between faith and real faith? What's the difference? So is this a self-group question? <laughs> Was it? There you go. Well done. Brilliant. See, we can have a temptation to treat faith as an incantation, a mantra, blind optimism. If I keep praying that I'll be healed, if I keep praying, the more I pray it, the more I believe it, and the more it'll be true, and I'll be healed, and then God will honour it. That's not faith. That's just a magical incantation that doesn't go anywhere, isn't it? That's a mantra, if I keep saying it over and again. And blind optimism isn't faith. I may well be one of the most optimistic people you've ever met. I do get that. I know. I'm, I'm not a glass half full person. I look at a glass and actually if you get a ruler by, by it, you realise it's actually 55% full, maybe even a bit more than that. I know that. That's just the way I'm wired. And I know that everybody's like that. But me being optimistic, yes, God's going to do great things in Beacon because I'm optimistic for that. I'm, I've always looked with a positive note on the future. That's not faith. Just blind optimism. That's just me hyping myself up to believe that. That's not faith. So we called it real faith just to help understand that when the Bible talks about faith, 
What it means is trust. What it means is trust. Because those other options, those other alternatives of looking at life, of, of looking at what faith is, blind optimism or keep, keep saying things till I believe it. When the trials come, when suffering comes, when sickness comes, when we find ourselves in serious financial problems, we think, I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't believe it hard enough. God doesn't love me enough. Lies, utter, utter lies. The people, as you read through the book of Hebrews, some of them never even saw the promises they were holding on to. They never saw them come true in this life. Some did, some didn't. Some of them got sawn in half. Were they thinking, God didn't love me enough, I didn't pray enough? You read about the martyrs in history, and they gave their lives for Christ. They were singing his praise right to the very last minute, because they knew their greatest reward was still to come as well. It's not just about what we get in this life. It's about trusting him that he will uphold us. That's real faith. It's genuine biblical faith. When we use the word faith in the Bible, what it means is, my father is good, he does good, he's in control, and he loves me, and I trust him. No matter what I see, no whatever comes my way, I'm trusting him. That's faith. We're going to look at that a little bit more this morning. We're looking at a guy called Enoch. Enoch, who is this man? The name's still banded around. Who saw Luther? Anybody see Luther, the uh, great TV series? I know Julian did. Idris Elba is quite a famous, increasingly famous British actor. Idris Elba. Idris is Arabic for Enoch. It's a name that still floats around today. And, uh, but those of us that do know who Enoch is from the Bible, the first thing that springs to mind is he's, he, he performed one of the greatest disappearing acts in history. He was and then he was not. I've met a few people in my life I'd like to think are oh, and then are not. <laughs> Please go. Oh, no, it doesn't happen. I'm sure we've all met them. But that's, this is who Enoch is. He's this guy who we'll read about in a minute. But the trouble is we end up focusing on that aspect of his story and miss the point of why he's mentioned. So let's just turn, before we turn to Hebrews 11, turn to Genesis 5, verses 21 to 24. This is one of just very few mentions he gets. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. still hear some rustling. I'll give you a sec. <laughs> Verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Becoming a dad at 65. I'm knackered on 39. What's going on? <laughs> and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. Here we go. Because God took him away. And everybody zooms in on that. Amazing, what's that mean? Where is his body? He didn't have a, he's in his human body, but in heaven. What's going on? And you end up getting sucked into this, and you miss the point. The trouble is, in the centuries prior to Christ's arrival, and for a short while after as well, the Jews got increasingly interested in this kind of thing. They got really sucked into heaven and the afterlife and angels. They, they, they suddenly, because of that, they got latched onto this little-known guy from their, the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old, Old Testament. There's this guy called Enoch, who was and then he was not. God took him away. What's that mean? What's it mean about the afterlife and bodies and resurrected bodies? And what, what's all this mean? And, they, and, and books got written in his name. You can find them on the internet. You can read them. Um, the first, second, and third books of Enoch. They're not by him. They're just written in his name. And they are weird. Seriously weird. where some other faiths and beliefs have, have come from. These books were written a few centuries up to 
Jesus' um, arrival on earth a few centuries BC, and they are increasingly mystical, utter, utter nonsense in them. And it does actually get mentioned in Jude, verse 14 of Jude. He actually quotes from one about Enoch prophesying, not quoting that as authoritative scripture, it's not, they're wacky. But he's just quoting them as an example of what people are talking about at the time. But uh, the third, the third book of Enoch even claims that Enoch is actually an angel called Mitatron, who is the voice of God. Where did they, where, where did they, I don't know, where to, I don't really know where to start with that one. But the trouble is, Hebrews teaches us to turn away from this aspect of Enoch's story, focus on what really matters. So will you turn with me to Hebrews 11? And we're going to look at this one more of this series of real life stories we're going to be focusing on over the next few months as we work through this amazing chapter. Hebrews 11 verse 5. But let's take it from the top, just to remind us of where we've been the first few weeks, shall we? Verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. See, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. We do not see the promises being fulfilled right now. But we don't then think, I didn't pray enough, God doesn't love me enough. These people still held on to that. They trusted him. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. We're living in a world that declares the opposite of that. And as well as science actually backing up creation, creationism, just as John explained to us a couple of weeks ago, it goes beyond that. We believe this is the word of God. Therefore we believe that the Bible tells us that God made the heavens and the earth. Depending on your interpretation of Genesis 1, whether you're an old earth theorist or a young earth theorist or what, as long as at the end of the day you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, regardless of, not about chance, it's not about accident and God's handcuffed by that, God specifically was deliberately involved in the creation of the species, of the earth, of rolling those planets onto their courses like bowling balls. He's an immense God and he created it all. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. Because through the scripture, he still reminds us. Worship is about trust. Worship is about faith. The story of Cain and Abel, as David was pointing out to us, it's not about one bought vegetables and one bought meat. It's the, fact that it's the matter of the heart. And Abel's heart was in the right place and he brought the best stuff. So here we go, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. There you go. Then it goes on. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Is it playing up? bit higher. Back there. See what happens. See what happens. Higher, lower. Brucey, Brucey bonus. Really high. Up there? Yeah. Keep talking. Keep talking. Let me read that last verse again. Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
This is where Enoch's heart was, which we're going to find out a little while later. In order to delve a bit more into Enoch's story, I, I, I tried desperately to not come up with the Baptist three points beginning with P, and, and I end up scribbling some down during the, work, during the conference during the week on a piece of paper, and it wasn't until I'd written them down, I looked down, and I basically come up with three or four points beginning with P. Okay. God speaking then, I guess. Um, first of all, come up with the pace and the place. It's, it's the geography of the walk. We will live, we're living a walk with God, I trust. And if we are, that involves a place, a season we're in and a pace at which we're walking alongside him, depending on what's going on in our lives. Also the person, not forgetting the person we're walking with, of course. It's not just about the walk. And then look at the purpose. What is the point of it? What is the point of faith in the first place? See, looking at these people, these people did some wild and wacky things. We're going to find about Noah coming up very shortly. He was building this huge, great ship. What are you doing? It's not raining. What are you doing? Where's the water? But Steve Ayres, he's the, um, our own Paul and Debbie out in Kentucky, their pastor, says this about the, book of, about the chapter 11 of Hebrews. He says, The 11th chapter of Hebrews is not about ultimate achievement in the world's eyes. It's about holding to faith, trust, even when the world thinks you're ridiculous. What's more important, what the world thinks of you or what God thinks of you? Because there's a difference between knowledge and faith. I have a real hunger for knowledge. I'm always, I'm, if you know me, I'm always, always reading books. I'm a real bookworm. And I've even learned how to speed read now so I can read some quicker. It's great. Why? More knowledge, it's brilliant. I mean, like C.S. Lewis, he, he was a guy who wasn't so much stirred by looking at a pretty mountain and stirred into worship, although that does have, did happen for him, does happen for me. I did get stirred, but... He, like me, give me doctrine, give me Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, and I go through into what justification really means, and I end up singing a song because of it. I just get really excited. It's just the way I'm wired compared to how other people are stirred to worship. But the trouble is, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And I must be very, I've got to keep reminding myself, it's not about how much I know. It's about who I know is more important. Much as valuable as the knowledge is, we just have to be very careful. A demon could beat you hands down in a Bible quiz. Fact. Knowledge is valuable, but we need to apply it. We need to walk it out in life. We need to put it into practice. We need to be walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Or well, someone said recently, are you smoking what you're selling? Quite funky, but I like that. Why was Enoch commended as one who pleased God? Twice in that Genesis text, it says Enoch walked with God. Twice, it reminds us. Enoch walked with God. It's because he was commended as pleasing God because he walked with God. God walked in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. At the time of the fall, they heard God walking in the cool of the day in the garden amongst them. God deigned, the great transcendent God we were talking about just now, he deigned to come and walk amongst his people. And this is the same, same understanding of that word is translated into when uh, God instructed the Israelites to build the tabernacle, the tent, where he could come and dwell amongst them in the desert. And that very same word again is used in John chapter 1 when it says that, that Christ, the word, came in the flesh and dwelt among us. The literal translation of dwelt among us is actually pitched his tent. Jesus tabernacled amongst us. So God deigns to walk with us. He comes to our level as well. He walks with us. And here is a man, Enoch, who grasped hold of that. He walked with God. His great-grandson, Noah, is also commended as walking with God. He is a man who walked with God. So even there, there's a, it is so much in Enoch's heart that he passed it on to his son, his grandson, and his great-grandson, 
Noah is a, is a generational family value. Guys, don't, get hold, don't, don't let go of this. Somebody, I want to get into Amy. Really know who God is. Because when you really know who God is, when you search the scriptures out and really get to know how amazing he is and what he's done for you, you can't let go of him. You physically can't stop walking with him. And I just want to help Amy realise that. This isn't about do's and don'ts. This is about relationship, isn't it? I love this. There's a guy called Ray Steadman. Just to paraphrase what he says. He says, Enoch was always walking with God. And one day he went for such a long walk with God. They came to a point when God said, we've come such a long way now. We're closer to my place. Do you want to come back? <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I love that. It's just, it just demonstrates Enoch's heart again. He just couldn't get enough of God. Just, was, wherever he was, he was walking with God. The problem is, since the fall, there has been a need to walk with God in mankind that has been absent. Our hearts, without Christ, our hearts are separated from God because of our sin, because of our selfish desires. It's mentioned about Enoch and Noah because it was so unique in that time, in this time as well, today. And it needs highlighting and it needs preaching on. Don't let go of the fact that we need to be walking in step with God. And there's only one way to be able to do that. There is a value to be found in walking with God so naturally and so generally that we find ourselves closer to his place than ours. It's not about being so heavenly minded or of no earthly use and those sort of phrases. It's not about that. It's about being grounded in reality. It's about trusting him despite what's going on. But not as blind optimism. But we're walking through that with him, trusting him that he'll uphold us. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and that relationship was broken by their sin. Again, that now, that kingdom is at hand. We're under an open heaven through Christ. It's available to us. Right here, right now, through our Jesus. Our sin, the things we should do but don't, the things we shouldn't do but do, the sins of commission and sins of omission, still sin. But more importantly, the selfish heart that causes that behaviour in us. <coughs> that has separated us from the perfect, holy, transcendent, living God. Because he is so perfect, he has to be just. If he, didn't ju- if he didn't judge our sin and he turned a blind eye to our sin, he's not being a good dad. If I just turn a blind eye to everything that Amy does, it's quite clearly wrong. I'm not fulfilling my duties. As a dad to her, I need to raise her up in the right way with good, strong morals. In the same way, that's why people say, how can God judge people? That's not a loving God. Absolutely, it proves his love. That he cares so much, so much that he can't turn a blind eye to sin. He is so perfect, he can't even look at sin. If he did, he'd be imperfect. He can't look upon it. And yet he's still deigned to give us his son, who came and lived a perfect life, who dwelt among us, who pitched his tent, tabernacled amongst us, lived a perfect life, and died that horrible, horrible, horrible death upon that cross, which we deserve for our sin. Our sin is so far removed from God, it deserves the ultimate punishment, death. Not just death in this earthly life, in this body dying, When it talks about we deserve death for our sin, it talks about separation from him forever. Spiritual death, which is what hell is. Hell isn't just fire and brimstone and big black cauldrons. It's about separation from him forever. Because you haven't haven't accepted Christ. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again in victory. Over death, over the devil, over sin, over shame. He made it possible for us to be alive again. Not just dead to our sin, but alive in him to live the abundant life that he promises through him, despite what's going on. You might look around and people go, well, that's not an abundant life. It is, because I've got him, through Jesus. And he ascended, 
that, he, that we might receive his Holy Spirit to empower us to mission, which is to keep spreading the good news. God wants to use us to spread the good news that other people can have what we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. Once more, we can walk with God, just like it was always intended. No shame, no hindrance, perfect union through Jesus. We can boldly approach his throne, like Hebrews says, because of Jesus. We can walk with him. I do think of Enoch sometimes as a bit of a... He's less of a walker, more of a hiker, to be honest. Enoch lived on this planet, therefore he had trials. They're not mentioned because they don't matter, because that misses the point again. But he clearly had trials, because he lived a life, 365 years of it, (laughs) on this planet. Therefore he had problems. So sometimes he was walking with God, sometimes he was running with God, trying to catch up with him. Sometimes he was resting with God. Sometimes he was climbing with God or crawling with God. Depending on the seasons we go through, there are different paces as well as the different places. But whether you're wrestling with life or you're resting in life, do it with God. That is what is meant by walking with God. It's about a relationship and about a lifestyle. So that's the place and the pace. I'd love to spend more time on that, but of course time moves on. But just as important, in fact more importantly, is the person we should be looking at. Tom Wright, the Bishop of Durham, he's uh, not for much longer, he's moving up to a university in Scotland as a lecturer. He's a great theologian, but he says this, without faith you can't begin to please God, like we read in that verse, isn't it? You may have a general sense that there is a supreme divine being, and you may even have an idea that this being wants people to seek him out. But unless you have faith, unless you really believe that God exists and that he does indeed want people to seek him and will reward them when they do, you can't actually begin to worship him. You need to acknowledge him first. And the only way to acknowledge the great God of the universe is through faith, isn't it? Through trusting that he is there and that he is who he says he is. Why did he not please God? Because his heart and his mind were in step with God. He acknowledged God as the context. I have to keep reminding myself, whatever I face, God is the context of this. Who is God? Where do I stand within this? And he gives you the strength to keep pressing on, knowing he's alongside you. And so ultimately, Enoch found his pleasure in God. Finding your joy in something gives it worth, doesn't it? I find joy in movies. I give them value. I love watching films. I love going to the cinema. I love building a DVD collection. I give them value. But if I find my ultimate joy in that, I'm giving them the ultimate worth instead of God. I love my family. I give them value. I find my joy in them and it gives them worth. But I mustn't let my family become a God either. Anything can become an idol. Anything neutral can become an idol when it takes the place of God. When you, that's where you run for solace. That's where you run for comfort. Alcohol. Being alone. It could be anything but as long as it doesn't take the place of running to God. Wherever you find your most joy is what you consider of greatest worth. Because God was not Enoch's means to an end. There is a danger to think, I'm in love with Jesus, I'm a Christian, because it gets me to heaven. It's a ticket to heaven. I love God because he saved me. I love God because I can ask him for things and I can get stuff. I love God because I'm not alone. All those things are valid. I'm, not saying, I'm certainly not saying they're not. But they shouldn't be the reason why we love God. God was not Enoch's means to an end. God was Enoch's end. Do you see the difference? 
Imagine myself and Jenny, we're going for a walk through the woods. It's a, bit, it's a day like this, it's gorgeous. And you can see through the trees, the, the blue sky, there's not a cloud in sight. And the blue is just intense, it's amazing. And it's a really balmy day, and, and the sun is just beating down. It's not too hot, but it's really, really warm. And I've taken my shirt off, you don't want to picture that bit. But I've taken my shirt off, and it's really, oh, this is amazing, it's lovely. But there is a slight gentle breeze in the air, just enough just to take the edge off it. And it's just, ah, oh, this, this is fantastic. And you can hear the bees buzzing around, you see some butterflies floating about. This is amazing, I'm loving this. I've got to take my shoes off and I'm putting my feet in the grass and just feeling it. And I'm looking through and in the break in the trees you can see this awesome landscape. The hills pitching over across to the horizon. You can see wild horses having a drink down by the river. This is amazing and not once have I acknowledged that I'm walking with Jenny. Do you see the difference? We can enjoy walking the walk. We can enjoy doing church. We can enjoy having our times together. We can enjoy going out there and doing projects and doing social stuff and feeding the poor. And we can love all this. We can love our worship times. And, not, and think we're acknowledging God, but really we're loving that more than spending time with him. Are we loving the walk more than the one we're walking with? This is part of the reason why we came up with our Beacon Church purpose statement, which is, you haven't been asked for a while, what's our purpose statement? Living life by his spirit and his mission for his glory. That sums this up. Living life Jesus' way. Jesus' way is the person. His way, not ours. Not some clever scholar's ideas of what are good moral values and what aren't. It's Jesus' way. And studying his word to understand more of what that means. By his spirit is the person again. The third member of the Godhead. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. By his power. On his mission, we have a purpose to do. We have a job to do. Seeking the welfare of the people around us, loving one another, and ultimately going into all the world and making disciples. And for his glory is the ultimate purpose. It's for his glory. He is the end, not the means to it. That's why I love Philippians 2. There's a little twist at the end that we tend to forget. Philippians 2, the great famous passage about Christ was humbled to death, even death on a cross. And then the Father exalted him with a name above all names, that every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess he is Lord. And we leave it there, don't we? But it carries on. For the glory of the Father. So even Jesus is like, keep pushing it higher. Keep pushing it higher. Yes, worship me. I am your saviour. I am your king. I am God. Yes, worship me. But keep pushing it higher. It's for the Father. Keep pushing on. Keep pushing higher. The purpose is to give God glory. Which leads us on to purpose. How does faith give God the glory? Faith is trust, which is ultimately dependent on what God is like, not on what we are like. Which is why, as we preach from the front here, we're trying to help all of us, all of you guys, all of us, to become theologians to different degrees. Don't fall into the, into the trap of thinking, well, I'm never going to be like Steve and take on all that kind of knowledge like him, so I'm never going to, there's no point even looking into doctrine or anything like that, or what the big words mean. You know, I know what I know, and that's all I need to know. Jesus loves me and he died on the cross. But does that mean your understanding of who God is is actually true? Because <coughs> years down the line you can find out you have the wrong understanding of who God is. There is a danger in this life, there's a pattern emerges, that people tend to build a picture of God the Father based on their own father. You should get an earthly model of what a father is like. And you can get an understanding of God as a father who turns a blind eye to, to things you do. 
the soft dad that you may have had, I don't know. That's not a picture of God. Because he is holy and he does judge and he is sovereign and he is in control. And he does discipline us when we need to. He disciplines his children because he loves them. But your understanding of God the Father could also be because you've had an abusive dad and your understanding of God is that he's always there to catch you out. Oh, I've fallen off the tightrope again. God's not like that either. Which is why we need each one of us, as Hebrews again will explain, we need to move on to maturity, getting onto the meat of stuff. To varying degrees, I understand that. We've got different capacities and able to do that. But we need to be studying the Bible in different ways to really seek after, find out who God is, what he's done for us, who we are in light of that, and what we need to do about it. Don't stop studying, don't stop learning. Keep pressing on deeper into him. So why does faith glorify him? John Piper puts it like this. Imagine you're three years old and you're standing on the edge of a swimming pool and your dad's in the pool. You can't swim. You've never done this before. And your dad says, jump. I'll catch you. I promise. How do you make your dad look good in that moment? You jump. You jump. You trust him. You trust him and jump because it makes him look good, makes him look strong, makes him look loving, makes him look wise. If you don't jump, if you don't trust him, it makes your dad look bad. Because your actions are then saying, actually, I don't think he will catch me. I don't think he will be able to do that. But you don't want to make God look bad, do you? So you jump. You want to make him look good. Which is why faith glorifies God. As you step out in faith, even though the world around you thinks you're, you're ridiculous doing this, you go, no, God has promised he will sustain me through this circumstance, through this event, through whatever you're dealing with. And as you step forward, you're saying, it's all about you, not about me. It's trusting him. But also, the harder it seems for him to fulfil his promise, the better he looks when you jump. Because you're now three, still three years old and you're standing at the deep end by the diving board. And your dad is 25 metres away in the shallow end. And a huge, great Rottweiler jumps over the fence and starts coming at you, slobbering and snarling, and he wants to bite your leg off. And you're terrified, and you climb up on the diving board to get away from him. And the dog comes and puts his paws on the diving board. And your dad, 25 metres away, says, jump. I'll get you. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? You've never jumped from that high. It will be way over your head. You can't swim. Your dad's 25 metres away and he still says, trust me, jump. I'll get you. How do you make your dad look good in that moment? You jump. Scary, isn't it? But we all face these moments in our lives. I know you're probably thinking now. You might be able to think of specifics. But I know you're aware in times of your life God's been telling you to jump and you've resisted. It's just learning just to trust him. And that's why we need to study the Bible, so we can affirm the promises that are made to us. We can affirm how great and good and wonderful he is, which helps us to jump. And as we jump, we make him look good. We give glory to God when we trust him to do what he has promised to do, especially when all human possibilities are exhausted. Faith glorifies God. And so, once more, what is faith? What is real, genuine, truly biblical faith? which is why we need to study the scriptures. True biblical faith is more than facts and knowledge. So John showed us a couple of weeks ago, looking at 
creation, excuse me, creation versus evolution, about our origins. He gave us some great academic facts that give us great academic retorts as we debate with people about evolution. We need those. We need to be armed with those. It's good. But I just love the fact that John just turned it around and said, but ultimately it's not about that. It's about faith. It's about trusting him that this is his word. And his word tells us he created the heavens and the earth and we will believe that. We trust that. It's not blind faith, but it's trust. Two different things. If you want a memory verse for the day, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I think it's only eight words. Memorise this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Even when the world thinks you're ridiculous, they're only look, acting by sight. They're looking again, but you've got no money and you've got no one else with you and yet you believe God wants you to go and help the poor, but you've got no resources to do that and you've got no... It's ridiculous. Why are you even bothering? No, I'm going to press on. I'm going to find out where those resources are locked up for now and where those people are locked up. If God has spoken to you about something, you're stepping forward in faith. You're walking by faith, not by sight. Do you have any promises God has given you that you need to act upon? Is he just asking? Is he simply, it can be something small, is he simply just asking you to step out of your comfort zone? So I'm not just talking about big prophetic promises that some of us are given. I say, you need to do this. Okay, off go. Not all of us, probably most of us haven't had that. But this book... The Bible is full of promises, stacked full of promises. Are you weary? Because his word says strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will run and not get weary. We will walk and not faint. That's not just talking about physical strength. It's talking about spiritual strength. When do I feel most weary? It's when I'm distant from him. When I haven't been spending time in the word. When I haven't been spending time in prayer. When I haven't been seeking after the Holy Spirit. When I haven't been stepping out of my comfort zone and trusting him when I've been wrestling with doctrine and trying to get my head around it, when I've been fighting for the faith, and like, God will see me through this. When I'm not on mission, I get weary. So you look at all those things, and you think, oh, that'll wear me out. But you're not, because you're sustained by him, because you're fulfilling his purposes for you. And you're walking with him, not against him. He also promised, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. We're a small gathering of us here. But God is at work here. And don't think he isn't. I will build my church. The church in Herne Bay has a glorious future. Don't think it doesn't. Is he clearly saying something to you and you have yet to step out in faith upon it? It could be something about giving. It can be about commitment. It can be about seeking the prophetic gift. Yeah, but everyone will think I look silly because I might get it wrong. You might do, but I've got it wrong and I've looked like a complete idiot. But now I've continued stepping out in that and sometimes God uses me in that. Just trust him. Just trust him. Is it about getting baptised or sharing your faith with your neighbour which might terrify you but you know God wants you to at some point in some manner. It's just trusting him. You're on the diving board and God says just jump. I'll catch you. I want to commend you guys for sticking it out here at Beacon. It hasn't been easy. I get that. But you guys are holding on to the promises of what God has given Beacon. That is included that we will affect the nations. And we represent New Zealand and China now and, and so many other countries, USA. And we represent others like Bulgaria and Egypt and, and uh, Vietnam. And there's so many. Brazil. Can't forget Ivan, can I? Nigeria as well. So I mean? It was a small gathering, but you can start listing... 
countless nations that are either represented here by nationalities or by people who have connections and interests in those countries. Something is happening here in 40 to 50 people. Do you see what I mean? God is fulfilling his promises. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but God's up to something. Do you see the difference? But just don't love the walk more than who we're walking with. Jenny, uh, last week we had a barbecue, just to end. We um, went home from church, had a great barbecue in the garden. Jenny's mum and dad came with us. And uh, afterwards, I had a lovely bit of meat. Always lovely it was. Very nice. Cooked by dad. And then Jenny said, who wants an ice cream? I was like, ice cream? Don't know. Take it or leave it. So no, no, I'll be right. I might have some later, but no, I'll be fine. And all four others, they all said, yeah, they have some. So I left it for a bit, and then I... Um, Started clearing the plates up. I thought it would be a good boy. Bless my wife. So I cleared the plates up, took her in the kitchen, and then I saw what Jenny was making. When she said, who wants an ice cream? Each of these bowls were laid out, and there was three perfect balls, perfect scoops in each one. Three colours each. They're amazing. And she got this squirty cream, and she built up a nice little pyramid on top. It was well-shaped. Well she's very arty. She was very impressed. And she built up this shape on it, and she got the strawberry sauce out. And drizzle the strawberry sauce out. Just didn't squirt it just all over randomly. Just drizzled it just right over it. It just looked so great. And then she got the potato peeler out. I was like, what? And she got some chocolate out of the fridge. Scraped flakes of chocolate all over the top of it. Oh, It's lovely, isn't it? You want some now, don't you? And I said, I said, Jen, you know I said I didn't want any ice cream. Oh, an ice cream. I saw what was on offer and I had to have it. And the same danger is what we can do with God. God, sometimes I can take him or leave him. He's alright. I know he's there when I come back to him. I'll just go off and do my own thing. If we really, really, really delve deep into this book and we really saw him for who he is, really, I mean truly saw God for who he is, we would truly not be able to help falling in love with him over and over and over again and we'd truly not be able to help trusting him, jumping after him, seeking him, pursuing him more. Is that not true? But we do it, don't we? Yeah, I, can't, I haven't read my Bible for a couple of days, but I'm just going to watch a film. I might read it tomorrow. So if, we, if I really got in my head how amazing he is, I just wouldn't be able to put my Bible down. It's the other way around, and I don't. And that proves, that proves how much we need him to help us do that. So when you don't feel like praying, pray. When you don't feel like reading your Bible, read your Bible. When you don't feel like stepping out of your comfort zone, you know what you need to do. Scary as it is, but it's making your dad look good. It's making him look good. Psalm, 41, uh, Psalm 42 verse 1, famous verses, The deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. He always goes with a pretty picture on a poster of a deer just sipping a bit of water in a little river. It goes on people's bedroom walls. Sorry if you've got one on your bedroom wall. That's not what that verse is saying. That is a verse of utter desperation. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That deer is dying. That deer needs sustenance and it can't find it. And I need water. I am going to die. And the writer is saying, that is how I feel about you, God. My soul longs for you and I need you. A few verses later it says, my tears have been my food day and night. That is not a pretty picture. That is a psalm of utter desperation. 
And the more we see God for who he is, the more we feel like that. God, I need you. How much more do I need you? Walk with him. It pleases him. I don't know what trials Enoch faced, but he clearly lived in that place. He walked with God. He saw what was an offer. He made it a priority. God rewarded it in his own way that was unique to Enoch. We might be rewarded in a different way, but he will reward us because he is the great reward. Christ walked amongst us as well. So let's get that continue to be a reality in our lives as we walk with him, in step with him, by the means of his Holy Spirit, by dwelling in his word, by, by prayer and by fellowship together, being on mission. But we can't start that journey walking with him without Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, please, please, please don't miss this opportunity. You never know what's coming next. Get right before God with his son who died for you so you don't have to. When the Bible says there was an eclipse, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a historical eclipse for a few hours. There was darkness over the land. It's not just talking about literal darkness. It's symbolic. There was darkness because there was utter separation between God the Father and God the Son because of our sin. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for both of them. They've been in an eternal, loving community together since no beginning. And there suddenly comes a point that is rent down in the middle. And there is utter separation between them. Which is coming your way if you don't know Jesus as well. But through Jesus, you can be with him forever. With Jesus, you can be right before God. He can wash your sins away because of his blood on the cross. And you can be raised to, to new life in him. And despite looking ridiculous, despite the horrible circumstances might be going around you at the time, you still know that you're walking in step with God through his amazing son by the power of his spirit. Walking with him. And one day we'll be with with him together for eternity. Not just in heaven. It doesn't even stop there. There was life after, life after death. Being with him in heaven is just a middle stage because there's a new earth coming up as well. Which will be even more amazing. And again, it's not about God in heaven and us on the new earth. Heaven comes to earth. You read in Revelations. The city of God comes to dwell on the earth. He's amongst his people. So walk with him. Don't let go of him. And if you don't know him, come and find me or one of the others later on and we'd love to talk through things with you about that. Let's just make it a habit that we end up walking in step with God so much we end up closer to his place than to ours. That's the abundant life he speaks of. I think we need to pray just as we end. It's good timing, isn't it? Let's just pray. I feel God's spoken specifically to people about specific things. I believe now is just a moment just to lift that to him. Whatever it is that God's prodding you about, if you can feel the Holy Spirit just giving you that little elbow about something, whatever that might be, stepping out of your comfort zone, spending more time in the Word, in prayer, or other things you need to be doing, just acknowledge that now before him.
with their eyes closed, if that is you, would you like... I think it's important sometimes to do something physical. Would you just put your hand up? Nobody else is looking. Just put your hand up that before him, you're acknowledging that you need to do something. You need to trust him and make your dad look good. So if that's you, just lift your hand up. Not for any other reason, just to know it helps you remember this moment. And I'll pray. If you want further prayer for it afterwards, then feel free to come and find us. Find one of us as well. Yourself, leader, or myself, or John or David. Lord Jesus, we just want to say thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. Making it possible to walk again with the Father. To walk in step with him. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. And Heavenly Father, we... We know we should be giving glory to you and sometimes we don't. But we don't want to look on the negative side of that. We want to press on into the future and say we just want to do that more and more. We want to trust you. We want to jump when you say jump because we know how amazing you are. We know how good you are. You are good and you do good. We want to trust that. We want to step out in faith, step out in trust. And know that you're there for us, that you have the best intentions for us and you'll never let us down never Lord we love you and we thank you and Lord help us just to step out into this during this coming week and beyond may we truly walk in step with you seek more of what it means to be in step with you what that really looks like what you expect of us what you want from us what you desire for us what you have planned for us Lord help us and as we ask these questions in our cell groups this week to find out more of what this means Lord help us just to really hear from you to receive from you and to be encouraged by you to jump because you're there for us thank you Father we love you and may we not let go of what we've heard this morning in your name we pray Amen